The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, and thank you for all you've done to tell other people about the show and to help promote the show. And um, before we launch into the topic, I want to remind you that um, on the Internet at ComeSailAway.com, you will be able to read about a very exciting cruise it's a cruise that is being organized by Glenn Beck on which there will be some guests, guests like Bill O'Reilly, who, by the way, has a very successful series of books, Killing. I just read Killing Patton, uh, the great World War II military commander, the general. And I must tell you, I, I am uh, – and I've spoken about this before. I'm very persuaded that uh, General George Patton was assassinated by, uh, shall we say, United States government um, uh, interests. And anyway, uh, the the book's terrific. It's one of the finest uh, simple expositions of the fateful Battle of the Bulge in the last winter of World War II. At any rate, uh, Bill O'Reilly, great. He's going to be one of the guests on the tour. uh, Tim Ballard of Operation Underground Railroad will be on the on the uh, cruise. The great David Barton, America's terrific, one, most outstanding historian, really historian, who understands the centrality of God as opposed to government. David Barton will be on the tour, and Susan and I will be on the cruise. Uh, this is a Mediterranean cruise where obviously we're going to be talking about the things that really matter, the things you really care about. And, um, you know, a number of people, uh, we're, going to be in, I mean, we're going to be in Athens, we're going to be in Jerusalem, we're going to be really talking about faith and culture and values. And a lot of people are actually bringing grandchildren on the tour. Uh, I'm amazed how quickly this this is a big ship, by the way. If you go to the website, comesailaway.com, you will actually see the ship, the Costa Luminosa. This is a huge vessel. Uh, this will actually be the first time I've ever in my adult life been on a boat that I am not driving. Um, apparently, their insurance policies would not let me run the ship. So I'm making this huge exception because when I go on a boat every summer, that's me in the pilot house. I will not be in the pilot house on the Costa Luminosa. I will be with you as we spend our time on this cruise um, exploring the the values that have shaped Western civilization and the concerns and things on our mind that we want to talk about and discuss. So anyways, um, I want you to be aware of that. I also want to tell you that you should stay in touch with me on this um, because there is actually um, a, a possibility of a substantial discount for people who listen to this show. So I'll be able to let you know more about that as well. And you can always go to my website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Um, but there are going to be uh, special occasions during the cruise where we'll be able to spend time together. And um, and so it is. At any rate, I'm telling you about this. You can learn more about it at comesailaway.com. 
and you can also contact me at the at our website tell me if you're interested and i will put you in the way of a uh, a significant discount for i basically i have 25 lapin cabins is basically what i've been given and um we can uh, make these available to listeners of this show at uh, a discount of um, uh, per cabin, uh, I think at least $500 discount, maybe even a little bit more than that. At any rate, it is significant. So uh, be serious about this. It's, uh, it, you know, I had said to the organizer, I said, so, you know, maybe somewhere around about uh, October or November, and they said, October, November, no, we're going to be sold out. At the rate at which it's going, we're going to be sold out much sooner than that. So I don't know the latest figures, but I know that the cabins are going like crazy. But I do have 25 set aside for the moment, and uh, they are for you, the faithful listeners of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I love the opportunity of leisure time on board ship. Uh, to talk with friends about things that we really care about. So, anyway, let's move right on from here. Well, let's get on with the show, shall we? Your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Yep, that's it, revealing how the world really works. And one of the ways the world really works is that human communication is the key to absolutely everything, connecting with more people, uh, learning how to communicate, learning how to connect, learning how to collaborate, learning how to cooperate. Through all of that, you're able to ultimately achieve the great excitement of how to create. Yep, the, the lesson of the seas. Connect, communicate, collaborate, cooperate, and then create. And uh, I think you will agree that uh, it would be hard to find any truly meaningful achievement in your life, any truly joyful moment of accomplishment in your life that didn't come about because of at least one other person, spouse, family member, employer, partner, employee, educator, friend, but uh, the idea of the lonely artist working away in his attic and producing masterpieces. Forget about it. That's not how the world really works. Lonely and isolated people do not produce anything of greatness. Well, I know an artist that is all locked up and doesn't connect with anybody, and he produces art. Yeah, right, of course. Uh, look, that's not art. That's maudlin outpourings of a diseased ego. It's narcissistic nonsense. Uh, that is not art. Anyway, um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's time for me to... Oh, I know what I have to do. Uh, I kept on reminding myself I did want to read out just a few more letters I've enjoyed receiving. Uh, here's one from Gina. Uh, dear, Hello, my Rabbi Daniel Lapp and smiley face. I've sent you a note before from Facebook. My kids, nine, six, and now three-year-olds, still want to hear more llama stories from you. Um, by the way, uh, I, I don't do a lot of communicating on Facebook. Uh, I communicate on my website, RabbiDanielLappin.com. Uh, then she goes on, Gina says, but that's not why I'm writing. I wanted to write and let you know that I value your information and how it allows me to speak better on many topics. 
I've just finished listening to episode 26 about immigration, and in closing you mentioned that it is hard for us to listen to something that is two hours long. This is not true for me. I enjoy listening, and this is what I, this, uh, this is what I listen to to help keep me motivated. Either the show with just you or the one with your lovely wife. It helps keep this homeschool mama of three grounded and with a happy warrior attitude. That's terrific. Uh, She writes, please keep it up, and if you have some way of slipping in a llama story for my three kids, they would love that. Who knows? Maybe they are your youngest fans that listen regularly. Uh, Lots of love, and keep up the good work. Gina. And then she writes, P.S., when it gets hard to talk to the microphone, just imagine the most darling little kid faces listening expectantly, especially to see if their rabbi will slip in a llama story for them. Okay, kiddos, well, today is your day. I will absolutely slip in a llama story. Uh, Her PSS, well, it should be PPS. Uh, My husband would like everyone to start learning Hebrew. He is very much a fan of yours and thinks it would do our family good to learn the Lord's language. Why, yes, it would. Uh, 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 Bye-bye again, and thanks for the smiley face reply last time. Okay. All right, Gina, and uh, your three wonderful children. Um, A quick llama story, as some of you already know, uh, for a period of time, um, my family and I acquired and and owned a beautiful llama. A llama, as you know, is spelt uh, L-L-A-M-A, as far as I know. And so not surprisingly, we named our llama Lucky, but we spelled it L-L-U-C-K-Y. And uh, we lived on, at this point, on, a, on an island, a fairly small community, a few thousand people. And uh, what happened was that people, be- <laughs> people began to get accustomed to my children walking the llama. So if uh, Susan sent some of the children to the grocery store to get some groceries, well, they'd take the llama for a walk and tie him up outside the grocery store while they went inside and then come back and they'd put the uh, packages and a sort of harness on his back and he'd take them home and you know people used to talk well it didn't take long before the local newspaper called up and said is it true that you have a llama and I said yes it is and they said uh, like why do you have a llama and I said well uh, you know he's a pet he became part of the family and they said well uh, could we send a reporter and a photographer and I said with pleasure and they sent over a reporter and photographer. But, and, and by the way, I still have this, this news clipping and the photographs they took. I, I reproduced it from the newspaper, and I sent a copy to each child, and um, I gave a copy to each child, and I've kept a couple of copies myself. But, so we still have this, but um, they sent a very gullible reporter. Children, ask your mother what the word gullible means. And... Uh, the reporter asked, you know, why we're, uh, we have a llama. And I said, well, because this particular llama happens to be extremely musical. And uh, the llama joins in singing uh, when the family sings songs. And, uh, and she, she said, seriously? I said, yeah. Uh, he actually knows the entire um, vocal section of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Um, and she said, really, can, can he do it? I said, of course. And I said, lucky, you know, sing for the nice lady. 
Well, of course, uh, Lucky just looked at me with a dumb expression and <laughs> did absolutely nothing. And I just said, look, I, I'm really sorry, but uh, he sometimes gets like this. He gets uh, all prissy when I ask him to perform for people. She said, oh, I know, I know, i got a kid just like that. And, um, and so she wrote in her article that this llama is very musical and he sings. And then I also told her that, um, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we, we actually find that he, he makes money for us. She said, how does that happen? I said, well, for one thing, uh, he eats grass. Now, sheep, when they eat grass, they sort of yank it out in the clump, so it really messes up a lawn. But a llama just nibbles it down close and so it's a wonderful way to trim a lawn. So we rent him out for people instead of a lawnmower. And she avidly wrote that down. And then the last thing I told, which was absolutely the only true thing <laughs> in the whole story. And the, the, the children were cracking up as I was talking to the reporter. And they were doing their best to stop themselves from laughing out loud. And, uh, and I said, the last thing is we do is um, that the llama... Um, whenever he takes care of his business, he does it in the same corner of the yard. In, and that part is true, by the way. And so every week or two, we end up with a big pile of llama manure, which is fantastic fertilizer for gardeners. And so we're able to sell that in the neighborhood. Anyway, she took all that down. It's all in the article and all great fun. Well, uh, the part that's true is that uh, we, you know, he did create fantastic fertilizer with his manure we never sold it we just gave it away to our gardening neighbors and friends but uh, anyways uh, lucky the llama uh, really gave the uh, the lapin children uh, quite a wonderful afternoon the day that the uh, local newspaper sent over a reporter and a photographer and they enjoyed that very much um, okay so um here is um, um, I am, you know, is another letter actually. Um, okay, uh, Shalom. I am a male, aged thirty years, from Uganda. I am a Christian who believes in the great potential God put in us, which is not just for our benefit, but both for the benefit of His entire creation. Your message has been so tremendous to my growth through the vision that the good Lord put on my heart. I believe the Lord called me to be a teacher. I have a strong desire to learn more about the Word of God through the Jewish perspective. I thank you very much for teaching me through the podcast and other videos which I often download. They have helped me to get more enlightened about the principles hidden in the Scripture, which has also improved my ministry. I would also like to get all of your teachings, but finances constrain me. But I'm working hard so that one day I will be able to raise the money and access them. I believe in learning, and every day you push me to want to learn more so that I can be a vessel through which our country can be blessed um, through. May the Lord bless you. And uh, that is from Anthony in Uganda. And uh, I was able to answer um, Anthony. Um, uh, I'll do one, one last one. Also, I responded to this one as well. This is from a man called Daniel who writes, uh, Sir, thank you for the podcast. I'm a long-term Christian missionary working in Ghana. We are homeschooling our four children, and your podcasts are being incorporated into the education of my 16-year-old son. Thank you, and God bless you. And that's from Daniel in Ghana. So well done, Daniel, and your wife with your homeschooling. Uh, God bless you guys, and I, I hope all is going very, very well for you. Um, and then 
lastly for today, Liz is call, is writing from South Carolina. Hello, Rabbi Lappin. I really enjoyed your podcast comparing the cultures, prosperity, and characteristics of Malta and Gibraltar with Gaza. By the way, that, that is a nice podcast. You can easily just go back and find it because um, the description contains the words Gaza, Malta, and Gibraltar. My mom was born in Valletta, Malta, and my father's parents were born in Malta as well. My mom immigrated from Malta to San Francisco with her father when she was around 18 years old. I had the pleasure of visiting Malta with my grandfather when I was still in elementary school. My husband and I spent a few days in Malta for our honeymoon. It is indeed a beautiful island with very warm-hearted people. The facts that you shared were fascinating and relevant. I used to listen to your radio show faithfully every Sunday on KGO. Actually, it was on another San Francisco station, not KGO, but KSFO, although KGO and KSFO were actually sister stations owned by the same company. Anyway, she says, and I truly miss your show. The format of this podcast reminded me of your Sunday radio shows, and I'm very grateful for having the opportunity again to listen to your biblically-based messages. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Liz in South Carolina. So uh, thank you all very much indeed for your, uh, uh, for your letters. I really appreciate it and uh, really do enjoy hearing from you. Now, uh, I don't want to spend, I, I usually don't spend any time on current events simply because my goal is to provide you with the tools to be able to interpret current events so that you, on your own, will know instantly exactly what I would have said were I to have been talking about those current events, which I usually do not want to do. And uh, it so happens that I'm preparing this show for you just after uh, Robert Mueller's hearings um, with, on Capitol Hill in the, uh, in, in the Capitol, and I... I thought I would speak about that for a few moments, again, just from the perspective of the timeless truths of ancient Jewish wisdom, if that is good with you. And so, uh, uh, again, I, I think I, I would like to just um, focus on three principles. Basically, pretty much everything you need to know about the Mala hearings you can understand and interpret from just three principles. Um, one is that, and again, this, if you are a regular listener to the show, this will not be new to you at all, but, uh, but that is that uh, the visual is almost always more emotional than the oral. Information that comes through your ear, in other words, in word form, is generally more intellectual, it's more thoughtful, it's information that you can more effectively analyze. When it comes through your eyes, it's more likely to be powerfully emotional. And that's not to say it doesn't impact you. On the contrary, one has to be very aware of the extent to which one is being subconsciously impacted by the emotional force of a visual message. 
So that's principle number one. In other words, we knew in advance that Mueller was going to confine himself to the report. He said so several times. He even uh, had a ruling given that that's all he would talk about. And so there could not be much in the way of words that didn't appear. So why were they so keen to have him appear before Congress? Because they wanted to gain an emotional impact. There's no other explanation. Right? Absolutely no new information was going to come out, and neither did it. In, when you take a look at the day that Mueller spent on Capitol Hill, not a single piece of new information, which is one of the reasons it was so um, devastatingly disappointing to the Democrats. But um, how could they not have known that? So why did they have him on? Because they hoped that the emotional impact would be much more effective. Well, there was an emotional impact. It just was not the emotional impact that they wanted. And I'll explain that. The second principle is, uh, again, a principle from ancient Jewish wisdom, and that is that what is omitted is very often every bit as important as what is said. And so when you're in a negotiation with somebody, uh, if your child is telling you something, if somebody at work, a customer or a client is saying something, make sure you pay attention and that you are thoughtful about what they're not saying just as much as what they are saying. And then finally, the third point is that um, virtually all fundamental disagreements at the moment are whether or not we are going to be informed and inspired by the big G of God or the little G of government. But like it or not, whatever way you want to go, you are pretty much going to be making a choice in many different areas of your life, uh, whether, whether you homeschool your children or send them to public school, how you relate to the teachers and the public school, um, how you relate to your children, all of these things would reveal, if I was an invisible detective watching you for a day, I wouldn't even need a day to know whether you incline towards the idea that our lives are shaped and informed by the big G of government, or excuse me, by the big G of God, or whether you believe that your life should be informed by the little G of government. In, in a hundred different ways during the course of an average day, each one of us reveals uh, how our lives are informed in that particular way. Now, uh, here's news on an entirely new resource that Susan and I have prepared for you. Um, it's, it's called the Financial Prosperity Package. Look, I really do believe in my own mind that some of the most important work I do for you is the um, information that helps transform people's financial destiny. Uh, in, in, in the real world, and certainly in God's plan for human interaction, money is an absolutely fundamental and essential part. And the trouble is that we've all been so effectively indoctrinated by secular culture that we are actually handicapped in our efforts because many of us believe that somehow or another we are confined and restricted and limited financially and that this is our biggest shortage, and it isn't. Knowledge and time really are, and we are impeded 
in our legitimate and morally okay pursuit of profit by, unfortunately, wrong and bad thinking. So, uh, you know, different people learn in different ways, right? I have a lot of the information packed into two books, Thou Shall Prosper and, uh, and Business Secrets from the Bible. Um, people hear best, uh, sometimes people get it through audio. But for those of you who like things laid out in terms of video lessons, how do you like this? Ten hours of my instruction in video, ten different lessons, and here's the great thing. Uh, you get it on a little USB uh, thumb drive. You literally pop it into your computer, you pop it into your laptop, and there you are. You go ahead and download it. You got it. It's yours. It's there. It's entirely uh, belonging to you. And at your own speed, you can go through these 10 lessons. Uh, what are they called? Uh, well, um, they're laid out uh, in the following way. You and the morality of making money. You and other people. You and yourself. Those are the first three, ch first three lessons. Um, then you and paralyzing perfection. You, the leader. That's number four and number five. Uh, six is you and change. Then comes you and all your tomorrows, you and money. And uh, after you and your money comes you and what is not yours. And finally, you and retirement. And uh, those are the titles of the 10 lessons. Each one is about an hour, and each one is laid out um, as a video lesson to help you actually master this material so as that you're able to absorb it and put it to use in your practical life. Because really, unless you are a justice on the United States Supreme Court or a tenured university professor, uh, you are in business in one way or another. Your success depends on how effectively you can sell. It depends on how effectively you can fill yourself with a sense of real morality, dignity, and virtue with respect to what you do. It depends on your ability to communicate effectively. All of that is very much a part of your financial success. So you'll find more description of that on our website at rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, you should also know that if you are listening to this at any time close to the Muller hearings, in other words, if you are listening to this somewhere round about July 2019, then there is a special introductory price for listeners of this show. And uh, instead of $150, it's actually a little less than $100. So you save about $50 on getting that uh, 10 hours of video instruction right now. So head over to www.rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, please take a look at it, read about it, and that way you'll be able to evaluate whether this is something that can effectively transform your financial destiny or that of somebody close to you in, in terms of friends or family members. 
But uh, great thing, by the way, for people to get together and study together so that uh, there can be mutual reinforcement. So anyway, take a look at it at the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, where you can also send me a letter. And you can also ask the rabbi. You can go to the page of the Ask the Rabbis. You can read uh, Susan's musings. And those of you who are devotees of Susan's writing knows that uh, she holds nothing back at all. I mean, unlike me, I'm a little bit more diplomatic. But uh, all of that you can see on the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Okay, let's take a look at the three principles of ancient Jewish wisdom as applied to the Mala hearings. And, uh, and remember, these are principles that you can and should apply uh, to circumstances in which you find yourselves and also in terms of interpreting events around you. So I'm going to give you a bit of a walkthrough of this on the, the Malay hearings. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because you can really do this for yourself. But let's look at the three principles as applied to the Malay hearing. The three principles, again, uh, that which comes visually through the eyes hits the emotional center of the brain. That which comes through the ears in the form of words hits the intellectual center of the brain and allows you to more effectively analyze it and balance it. When it comes through the eyes, please don't think you are invulnerable to this. You're not, I'm not, none of us are. We all find ourselves involuntarily and subconsciously reacting to um, information that comes visually and emotionally. So, what was going on here? Well, all right, look, um, essentially, uh, the Democrats saw this as an opportunity to get people to pay attention. Hundreds and hundreds of pages of the report, uh, how many American citizens read it? Almost nobody. In fact, most members of Congress haven't read it at all. So the Democrats came up with this great idea. They said, we can't get people to read the book, but we'll We'll sh let them see the movie, and they'll undoubtedly see the movie, and then it'll go very well. Now, had they asked me for my advice on this, here's what I would have said to them. I would have said, Democrats, um, although I do not care to increase your effectiveness, I cannot lie to you. And so since you ask me and I've decided to respond, I have to tell you the truth. And the truth is that if you want this to work, you need to put a successful movie producer, a movie director, I should rather say, rather than maybe a producer and a director, in charge of this whole enterprise. Leaving this in the hands of clowns like uh, Nadler and Schiff is a recipe for disaster because they are wonks. They're policy people. They get all excited about words that nobody else pays any attention to, but words that, uh, that only mean something to lawyers and legislators. So you want to uh, make the movie from the book, uh, then you, you, you do that and you get people who know how to do it, uh, ideally uh, from Hollywood or, or wherever. It, look, I, I realize, <laughs> I realize um, 
representatives Nadler and Schiff were not about to actually do this, but I'm saying what they should have done. In other words, if you want, the only reason you're doing this is to go for the emotional impact, obviously, right? Uh, you want people to be filled with indignation. You are hoping that this was going to fuel uh, the drive for impeachment of the president. This was going to make all Democratic representatives absolutely convinced, as well as your constituents back home, that this is the avenue to go. And uh, we've got to absolute, absolutely uh, – well, this is what you're hoping. And, and you are right. If you could get an emotional impact – Let's imagine that uh, – let's imagine um, – gosh, uh, you know, imagine Muller being played by, you know, Robert De Niro or Robert Redford or Charlton Heston, the late great Charlton Heston, and with steely eyes and firm resolve with an unwavering gaze filled with righteous indignation, he was able to cow the entire audience – into his description of the unrepentant uh, horrors perpetrated by the Trump White House, the impact would have been huge. There is no question about it. People would have felt shivers running down their spines, and they would be filled with a new zeal to get rid of the president. That was what they're hoping for. And along comes a, a tired old guy who, um, who, who repeatedly says he's not going to discuss that. It's out of his purview. He won't say a single thing beyond what's actually already written in the report, excepting the way he does it now casts doubt over the written word in the report. It was actually better in the report than the way he came across. What is more, it was also evident from his uh, appearance that he certainly didn't write the report uh, and barely knows what's in it, and that this was done by hired pit bulls in the deep state. And that is why this worked out so horribly for its uh, designers. Remember something I did on a previous podcast where I explained the difference between crusaders and accountants? Robert Mueller came across as an accountant. Nadler and Schiff were hoping for a crusader. Fat chance. Not even close. What they got was an accountant, a tired old accountant who had been hauled back out of retirement who was uh, one step ahead of senility, uh, it, it didn't work. And so lesson number one is, sure, you, there are many times where you're going to want to generate the kind of irresistible response that comes from an emotional jerking of the chain. Sure, there are going to be times you are going to want to do that. Uh, whether it's with your family or in your business, wherever it is. But it's, it, it's a, certainly it's a legitimate way of communicating, and you have to know how to do it. Uh, I understand what they were hoping to achieve. They failed because they didn't realize that it's got to be put on by somebody who understands the optics of emotion, somebody who understands how to play with people's – I mean, come on, how many times – let's – you know, it, maybe you, you're – I'm a guy, right? Um, I'm not really a, a sort of uh, touchy-feely, teary kind of a guy for the most part, but the, I mean, there's certain things that 
that that do really get to me. And I, I've got to tell you, uh, there there are movies that I have seen that are so skillfully created that I I'm wiping my eyes and I've got a lump in my throat. That's how good they are. Well, I promise you, nobody felt that way during the day that Mr. Muller spent on the hill. But, and I realize uh, this obviously couldn't happen, I'm not speaking practically, but theoretically, had they been able to get that produced and directed by people truly skilled at the visual medium, they'd have got what they wanted. There's no question about it. The, the mood in America would be quite different today. It would be a mood of... We've got to, we're not going to wait for the 2020 election to get rid of Mr. Trump. It's going to be done right now. And, uh, but as it happened, of course, <laughs> that didn't work out at all. Now, the second principle that I was talking about uh, was you must pay attention to what is omitted. And you have to do this when family members talk with you, when business associates talk with you. You always have to be listening that's why the good Lord created us with two ears and one mouth. Make sure twice as much attention is focused on hearing than on talking. And in this case, once again, what did not get said was far more important than what did get said. It's kind of interesting that um, in the book of Esther, uh, you will remember, maybe you will, in the book of Esther, uh, the king of Persia arranges a beauty pageant to find his next wife. And uh, obviously, not only are the girls uh, prepared in terms of physical appearance, but they're also prepared in terms of uh, social skills in exactly the same way to this very day when they have their Miss Universe and Miss America and Miss World pageants. Uh, you know that they don't just look at the delectable shape and beauty of these young girls. No, they have them take the microphone and talk about how they would like to see, well, the predictable world peace, of course. But the, um, the idea is that, you know, this is just not about physical appeal. This is about the attractiveness of the entire person. And so, uh, um, so Mordecai says to Esther, look, um, they're going to want to introduce you as an entire package. They're going to want to talk about your background and your life and uh, who you are. One thing I want to make sure you know, and that is you must not tell anybody that you are a Hebrew. Don't let anybody know that you are of the people of Israel. And so sure enough, in chapter 2, verse 10 of the book of Esther, Esther had not made known her people or her heritage, for Mordechai had charged her that she should not tell. And sure enough, and so you can realize that uh, had they paid attention, she didn't lie. She didn't say, you know, she, she was from South America, but she just remained uh, demure and reticent about that. And so the entire rest of the story, which revolves around the fact that she was of the people of Israel, uh, the king, who does not come across as a particularly astute and wise man, he could have really saved himself an awful lot of trouble had he said, now, wait a second, I know about the heritage and background and origin of every one of the girls that I've met and I've spent a night with, but uh, this one, 
you know i know nothing Let, let's get a bit more information she's spoken a lot she's been very interesting and and uh, and worthwhile talking to but the one thing she's danced around is who she is and where she's from what people omit is really important and um and the the Mueller hearing was perhaps more than anything else i've seen lately uh, an example of how important it is to pay attention to what is omitted um, just as much as what is actually said. The truth is that uh, we can now tell that the whole Mueller hearing, this whole, the last two years of this inquiry are really about protecting the actual perpetrators behind the Russian collusion hoax. It, it's really most amazing. Uh, Christopher Steele's dossier, which was central to the FBI's uh, investigation, and the basis of every time they speak about conspiracy, that's where it comes from. And yet, the and I'm going to say the authors of the Mueller report, because I I now have no doubt whatsoever that Mueller himself never wrote it. I'm not even sure he actually knows what's in it. But the uh, the the bulldog deep state authors. Um, who we uh, and, and by the way we, we know who they are as well um, one of them is a guy by the name of Andrew Weissman and the other guy is a guy called Aaron Zebley and these are at least two of the guys um, and there are also others who who actually wrote the document but it's it's absolutely clear that they studiously avoided mentioning anything about Fusion GPS and about Christopher Steele, nothing about that, and their own ties to the Russians. Uh, they also totally ignored what we now know to be the fact that the Clinton campaign actually were the ones who put money on the table and paid for that dossier. All of that, uh, Mr. Mullard, is outside his purview. Um, you know, and you know somebody who's going places, I think, Florida Representative Matt Getz, uh, he interrogated Muller. He was terrific. And he didn't, when Muller said, not my purview, he didn't take that. And he, you can actually see this on online, I think, on YouTube or wherever else you, you'll find it. But he's very good. Getz went after Muller right there and then. He said, on the contrary, this is very much in your purview. And at that moment, anybody watching said to himself, you know something? This is right. This makes no sense at all. No no sense at all. And so uh, the whole reason why America's had to endure two years of this fantasy, all the Russian collusion, was only because the Clinton campaign needed an explanation for why they lost. And the answer was, oh, Russian interference and Clinton and Trump campaign collusion and yet, the man whose whole mandate was to investigate Russian collusion didn't touch on any of those things. The whole idea, the whole term of Russian collusion came from Christopher Steele, from the Clinton campaign, from the uh, horrible uh, dossier. That's where it came from. Um, another glorious moment in the hearing where um, Mueller declined to answer a question, several questions, because the events predated his tenure. Um, complete nonsense, right? Because just about everything that Mr. Mueller investigated predated his tenure. 
he only he only when he got hired and appointed as the special investigator everything had already happened and so of things that happened he he investigated all the trump meetings but things that had happened at exactly the same time having to do with the clinton campaign he said no he can't talk about those because they predated his tenure so this stuff is just disingenuous and dishonest and uh, and i think a lot of people saw that um uh what else what else can i tell you well i mean basically uh the, the as i say the key thing here is ask yourself what was not said and um and and that really is 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 a very important part um devin nunes was very good with his intelli- in, interrogation and uh, and again Mueller's response is i'm not going to speak to the series of happenings as you articulated them what sort of answer is that and this was why he made so clear at the outset and all along that he's not going to do anything, talk about anything that isn't already in the report. And, of course, the report was very carefully engineered to generate suspicions about the Trump campaign and to deflect attention from the Clinton campaign, from the Obama administration, and their many sins during this shameful period of American history. Um, so, I mean, that, that's really the, the key thing. The, as I say, the second principle I wanted to bring out to you is you must pay attention to what is not said just as much as we pay attention to what was said. And then finally, uh, remembering that in, in, in the sort of fights that are going on today in the culture, not only here, by the way, but also in the United Kingdom and uh, in Europe uh, with the European Union and elsewhere, uh, the, the very first place to look for the underlying matrix of reality, for the underlying uh, blueprint of the disagreement is the question of whether government is the be-all and end-all of human society or whether God is. And it cannot be both. One is always going to have to be more important than the other. One will be the sun and one will be the moon, uh, and perhaps even that isn't a very good metaphor because if um, God is God, I would hardly say that government is the moon, which reflects that. In fact, uh, it's the dark side of the moon, if anything. And so just a a clarification there that uh, what this um, debate is about at its heart, and I think in in many ways it's fair to say that the fundamental disagreement between the Clinton vision and the Trumpian vision was one of uh, government or human independence and of God, although – uh, although um, Mr. Trump gave no indication whatsoever during his uh, life up to that point that he was going to be so God-centric in his vision for America, you will remember, and I will never tire of reminding you, that uh, throughout 2016, in the months and months and months leading up to the election, when I told you that uh, Donald Trump was going to win the nomination and the election— I said because in the final analysis, a, uh, a businessman who is pragmatic gets it, and that is going to be better than anything that the uh, Clinton campaign can come up with. 
and, and that's exactly what happened. And one of the reasons that all his former friends have turned on him with such venom and, and such intensity of hostility is precisely because he's shocked them. Uh, they assumed he was one of them. He was a party guy. But once he entered office, everything changed. And you could really say that, as happens so often in life, the position made the man. You know, I used to be so upset, I mean, deeply, deeply upset, every time there was a media photograph or television footage of uh, Obama um, sitting back with his feet on the desk in the Oval Office. Uh, Obama sitting without a jacket on in the Oval Office. I was really bothered by that, but it made perfect sense. I understood exactly who he was. But do you know that uh, I've not seen any pictures yet of Mr. Trump in the Oval Office in anything other than a suit and tie? Not seen such a thing. Okay? The office made the man. And, um, and I think they're, they're indignant at the fact that whereas they always assumed that here was a guy who, who saw the role of government, and don't forget the appeal to go and work in government is huge. You work in government, you've got lifetime security, you've got limitless funds, really. I mean, if, if you move up in government, whatever pr pet project you come up with, uh, whether you are in the deep state, the bureaucratic side of government, or you're in the elected side of government, um, all you've got to do is get more tax money, and you can do pretty much what you like. It is very tantalizing, extremely appealing to go and work for the government, unless you are somebody who has your vision quite clear that the center of existence is God and the independence of each of his creations, each of us, and therefore, the last thing you want to do is go and work in government. You want to expand your own creativity. You want to create wealth instead of taking wealth from hardworking Americans in the form of taxation. And so for one group of people, going to work for government is hugely appealing. And that is exactly where um, the Clintons were at, was exactly where they thought Donald Trump was at. Look, you don't get to be a developer in New York. You don't get to be a successful real estate magnate in New York if you don't get along with government. And he always got along with government. And you'll see he gave donations to both sides. He worked with New York State in Albany. He worked with the city of New York. They assumed he was one of them. And he walks into the Oval Office and everything changes all of a sudden. This is not about government at the center of the wheel any longer. It's about God at the center of the wheel. And so he becomes pro-life on the abortion issue. He starts choosing justices for the Supreme Court that fill the other side with hatred and terror. Yeah, that's right, because that is what this is all about. And so as soon as you recognize that this uh, colossal farce that has been inflicted on America for two years, engineered by people like Nadler and Schiff in the Congress of the United States, people whose entire perspective on reality is government-centric, well, yeah, what do you expect? And then you watch the, the Nadler, the uh, Mueller circus this past week on television, and, and you see that's exactly what this is all about. 
This is the empowering of government. It's expanding the role of government and diminishing the role of free and independent citizens. And uh, these three principles, knowing that the fundamental conflict is between God and government, that uh, what is omitted is just as important as what is said, and recognizing the different impact that the verbal and the visual have, those three principles, uh, I think, are really all one needed in order to extract everything that you needed to get from the Mala hearing. Everything you needed to know comes from those three principles. A guy I know, a guy David Brooks, said that uh, he is, uh, he used to be more of a secularist than he is today. And I found that very, very interesting. Uh, because this was widely held to be uh, true. And a, f a few weeks ago on the show, I joked about creating uh, a 12-step program for former secularists like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That's a way for alcoholics to get past the addiction. Well, I'm recommending a 12-step program to help secularists get past their addiction to secularism. And, um, and this generated a lot of response. A lot of people wrote to me. Uh, some people actually seemed not to get <laughs> that I was a tongue-in-cheek on that, that I wasn't really going to start an organization called Secularists Anonymous. But based on the response I got, maybe I ought to actually. But um, look, uh, it, it interests me a great deal because... You know, when I was a, uh, you know, when I was at university and uh, in those years, um, I I was religious then, and I I must tell you, I, I felt very much on on the outside. I there were times I was a little bit embarrassed about it. I tried to deflect conversations away from religion. I didn't want to find myself in a center, in the center of a conversation where everybody is pushing secularism and I'm the only one uh, painting a picture of a God-centric universe. And so um, <clears throat> people said then that, look, your view is uh, medieval. Um, the world today is moving forward and uh, science is becoming more and more of an explanation for everything. And a little by little, uh, the world is becoming less religious, and you have to realize that. Sooner or later, you're going to have to also. Uh, well, simply not true, because a few years have gone by since then, and, uh, you know, around the world, the, the world is far, far richer and more affluent and better educated than it was a few decades ago. You can't compare it. Uh, certainly, this is a, a, a period of perhaps the greatest scientific progress and the greatest wealth creation progress, looking at, shall we say, the last 30 years or something. Surely, surely, this 30 years has seen more wealth creation and more broad-spread scientific progress and education than any other 30 years in history, I would have to say. And yet, in the midst of all of this happening... Uh, Islam is is all over the place. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, 9-11 wasn't that long ago. That would have been unthinkable 
um, you know, 35, 30 years ago, nobody would have dreamed of anything like that. Islam was somnambulant. Um, I'll tell you in my own faith, in Judaism, um, only the orthodox side of Judaism is growing and is vibrant and vital. Uh, the aspects, the, uh, the, the movements in Judaism known as conservative Judaism and reform Judaism and humanitarian Judaism and many others, uh, those are struggling to stay alive. They really are. Uh, it, it's the, now, this doesn't mean that everybody committed to Orthodox Judaism is necessarily uh, observant of the laws of the Torah? No, of course not. But many, many, many people, many Jews are saying to themselves, you know what, I cannot be a secularist any longer. It doesn't make sense. I'm too thoughtful. I'm too intelligent for that. That doesn't necessarily mean that I personally am going to change my lifestyle. But in terms of my relating to the world and how I'm going to live and how I'm going to raise my family, I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to a a God-centric view of the world. And so, uh, uh, and, and by the way, what's interesting is that in the years following World War II, um, there was a lot of talk about, you know, when I say talk, mostly magazine articles, newspaper articles, many books, all about different, just different aspects of God is dead, the church is, do- is gone, uh, religion is over. I, I, I just did a basic uh, search on all of this stuff. And I, I found myself absorbed for two hours uh, with with so much stuff in the late 40s and, and 50s and into the 60s. Um, just, you know, religion is finished. It's over. Well, that's not exactly right. Now, uh, those of you who've been listening regularly know that last month I was uh, speaking in Ghana. And I got to get a bit of a sense of Christianity in Africa. You can't imagine you cannot imagine what's happening there. Africa will easily be majority Christian. Literally, the population of Africa, majority Christian. By 2030, not as things are looking at the moment, if the same growth is maintained, that's not even a question. It doesn't even need the same rate of growth, which is just increasing. Even if it goes steady state from now, we're still talking about that. It's pretty amazing. So... Uh, uh, look, I, I, I think this idea that we can kiss religion goodbye and we can all become scientific, rational, atheists or, or secularists, this is not really um, being borne out from, uh, from anything, re- anything real. I mean, how long has Pentecostalism been um, in the world? I think, it was only, it's, I think it was only about 100 years ago, isn't it, from started in California? Look at it today. What are we talking about? It's pretty amazing, really amazing. And so I must tell you that uh, one of the first things I would do for Secularists Anonymous is just help them see reality. Stop seeing the world the way you want to see it. See it the way it really is. And the way it really is is that... uh, secularism, you know, it's viewing the world as godless and materialistic. I'm sorry, that made sense in 1880 with Karl Marx. It just doesn't make sense today. It's just not how things are. So um, please know that if you are a secularist, 
uh, you're in the minority. You're on, you're on a side that just is not holding up intellectually anymore. It just really isn't. And, um, and understanding that is really the, <laughs> the first step on the road to recovery. Um, then you also got to think in terms about uh, um, sort of overcome your uh, prejudice against religion. We've all heard things like, oh, religion has killed more people in religious wars than anything. It's not true. Communism has killed the major- more people, and it was in the 20th century, more people than were ever killed by all the religious wars of all of human history by a huge factor. So, but people, people oh, have prejudices. You ha- have a lot of people saying, oh, um, I don't care for organized religion. So what are you really telling me, that um, a lone Christian worshipping on his knees in his living room you can tolerate, but if he gets together with 20 of his best friends and they form a little church, now all of a sudden, this is, no, this is organized. What are you talking about? It makes no sense. So um, please, um, please get past your fear of religion. The fact is, uh, it wouldn't be hard to find neighborhoods in the United States of America. And by the way, I'm sure what I'm saying is true of other countries as well. But just a simple thing, you know, in Secularist Anonymous, my uh, fantasy organization, we're going to help you realize that it's not hard to find in the United States of America neighborhoods that are populated by um, evangelical Christians or Pentecostalists or Orthodox Jews. We can find neighborhoods like that. Now, I think you'll agree we can also find neighborhoods populated by people who have never heard the words thou shalt not in their entire lives. We're talking about neighborhoods in which cold-eyed thugs prey on the innocent, perpetrating the most vicious and horrible crimes. There are two kinds of neighborhoods in America. Well, there's a lot of neighborhoods, but what I'm saying is overcome your prejudices go and look at some of the nicer neighborhoods of america and you'll see that they are many of them are in the south and that's one of the reasons so many people have been moving to the south because they don't always realize that um, south carolina texas north carolina parts of georgia these are lovely places to live but that's precisely because the majority of the people living there exercise the rules and the rituals and the restraints of religion in their daily lives. And so you can walk safely in those streets. But how about we look at neighborhoods in which secular Democrats, where the Democratic Party, with its focus on secularism and government instead of God, why don't we look at neighborhoods and cities that have been under Democratic control for 40 years? Tell me where you would rather be run out of gas, or pardon me, those of you who are devoted uh, advocates of electrical cars running out of battery, where would you rather run out of fuel? In a southern neighborhood populated by Christians or in a neighborhood populated by, well, secularists? And think about it. There are plenty places. Would you would you rather be at the mercy of um, 
uh, the first 100 people you're going to find in the streets of Manhattan or the first 100 people you're going to uh, find on the streets in um, North Carolina? Where would you rather, whose mercy would you rather find yourself at? That's what I mean by overcoming your prejudices. The fact is that religious Christians are good for the United States of America. They built the United States of America, for heaven's sake. They really did. But um, overcome the prejudices, you secularists. You really, you really have to. You've got to wake up. It's a new world today. And, uh, and learn something about it. Learn. Find out who these people are, who your neighbors in America are. So, look, look, I totally understand. Believe me, I sympathize with you. Um, you know, you, you might have gone to college. You're, you're part of the world of Western intellectualism. And you've got to remember that since the beginning of the 1900s, um, academia throughout Western Europe has been focusing on coming up with um, materialistic models for reality. Marx tried to do it through the class struggle and through uh, race and gender. That's what Marx did. And um, they tried to do it through the idea of, you know, you know what makes sense in reality? Profit maximization and greed. That's how eco eco uh, economies work. Um, and professors in universities used game theory and conflict of interest doctrines to come up. And all of this was resolutely determined to avoid using the lens of religion to understand anything. Today, I mean, at the time, the stuff was very seductive. But today, I ask you, I mean, Mr. Secularist or Miss Secularist, um, I ask you, I say Miss, not Mrs., because you know what? The majority of married women are actually religious. That's right. They really are. Because you can't give birth to a baby without having prayed to God along the route. It's as simple. And that's why I've pointed out that uh, I just I got a foolish letter from somebody um, yesterday. I'm not going to read it. Um, in which he spoke about, um, oh, Mr. Trump is driving women away from the Republican Party. It's complete rubbish. Um, single women were never going to be in the Republican Party because they were, I mean, obviously government is important for them married women are more god-centric than government-centric and uh and, and so you understand it's pretty obvious but uh, what i'm saying is that back in the early 1900s all this materialistic explanation of the world was very seductive and and that and that held true on and off all the way through um i mean it picked up in again in the 60s and 70s but i ask you you know and unless you are a devoted secularist employed by the State Department in Washington, D.C., can you honestly tell me that you can understand and make sense of the Middle Eastern conflict without acknowledging the existence of religion? Come on, really? This has nothing to do with Islam. It has nothing to do with Judaism. Five million, Israel, five million Jews are living in the Middle East, when they could be living in New Jersey? Really? For what reason? Because a barren desert from which fruit and vegetables have to be drawn out with unyielding diligence? Really? No. They're there for religious reasons. Very simple. So, more and more it's becoming clear today. And that's why I'm, I'm speaking with a certain compassion for you secularists, because... 
I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that if you're of a certain age, then you attended university and were indoctrinated into the beliefs that secularism can explain the whole world. But come on, you're a smart person. You must be. You're listening to this show. And so you know now that a secular worldview does not explain reality. For heaven's sake, it doesn't even explain the presence of thousands of different species on this planet. You might say, well, natural selection and Darwin explain it. Actually, not that simple. That actually isn't true. It's a separate show. I'm not going to do it now. Natural selection is certainly proven, absolutely, in, to the extent that certain birds of a species develop longer beaks and others have shorter beaks, coloration of moths change, sure. But the uh, evidence that huge jumps of uh, species change take place, the, the fossil record uh, is, is now accepted to not exist for that. The, 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 the Cambrian explosion gap, for those of you who are interested in digging more deeply into it, I'm sorry, a, material, a purely materialistic worldview simply doesn't work anymore, not for an honest person. And so all of these are, uh, are reasons why I think that uh, Secularist Anonymous actually can, uh, can be helpful to you, really. Um, and so uh, you know, start taking religion seriously. I don't mean you've got to necessarily change your life or anything. But at least stop being patronizing and condescending towards religion uh, and stop thinking that you are superior to religious people. You're, you're not. You're actually a relic. You're part of the past. You've got to understand that you live in a world today in which religion plays an ever larger role. And if you're out of it, you're out of it. You simply don't know what's going on. I mean, really. Um, that the what I mean how weird is this? Whoever dreamed in nineteen seventy three did anybody dream that in twenty nineteen the litmus test for judges of the United States Supreme Court will still be on whether it's moral to kill babies or not? You know, they finished. That debate will be over and gone, finished. But it's not. It's simply not right. It, it, it's not finished because religion is front and center in the world today. So, um, so I think there is some value in, um, in every now and then me devoting a little bit of time to Secularist Anonymous to, to just help all of those people. So if you have any friends who are secularists, maybe you, maybe you have a whole group of secularists. Maybe you get together. Maybe you already have the beginnings of Secularists Anonymous, whatever. Uh, please do let people know that from time to time here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, I will be helping you get past your hang-ups. I will help you rejoin reality and understand how the world really works. And now, before we wrap up, let me remind you one more time, if I may. The website is rabbidaniellappin.com. And there's a special right now, a special introductory offer on a new product. 
This is the entire 10-hour teaching of uh, spiritual powers of prosperity. Essentially, the things you have to know in order to seriously commit yourself to transforming your financial destiny. Um, I told you a little earlier in the program what the, the 10 sections are. It's on video, and uh, what we do is we send you a USB drive, a little thumb drive, and you stick that into your computer, and you can then either download it or watch it as it is, but it's 10 one-hour lessons on money, and uh, it's in a very digestible format. At any rate, read about it at rabbidaniellappin.com, and I think you will see that this is a very worthwhile investment in your future. So uh, I wish you a wonderful week, a week of achievement and progress, a week of joy and happiness in the four areas on which we focus, your friends, your family, your faith, that's right, and your finances. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.